So the title of today's sermon is actually Come Home. For your notes, come home. Okay, I have three questions for you, and I want everybody to participate and everybody to be honest. Okay, you ready? Say, oh yeah. Okay, since you've been saved, since you made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, how many, by a show of hands, have done something incredibly disobedient and sinned against God since you've been saved? Raise your hand. Okay, everybody's participating with the Catholics. That's great. Okay, good. Okay, so now, second question. How many of you, since you've been saved, have done something, to hear me out, in the same genre or the same area of sin in which you once judged somebody else harshly for doing Hold on, hold on. For instance, um, the Bible says don't murder, but Jesus came along and said the iniquity, the inward motivation is just as bad as the outward transgression. So they said don't murder, but Jesus said if you hate somebody in your heart, you're a murderer. I uh, said, don't commit adultery on the outside. But Jesus said, if you look at someone in lust, you're an adulterer. And maybe, maybe somebody gossiped about you one time and you could not believe it. And so the way that you fixed it is you gossiped about them. How many of you have done something that you, since you've been saved in the same area in which you once judged somebody else for doing? Raise your hand. Okay, good. Now everybody's participating. Yes, even the Catholics are part of it now. This is great. Okay, third question. How many of you since you've been saved have done something so horrible, so bad, that if I were to put it on the screen, something that you, you thought, something that you said behind closed doors, something you did when no one was around, something, some sin since you've been saved, that if I put it on the big screen, your face would turn bright red, you would probably run out of here crying or cussing me out. Some of y'all are just flat out liars if you didn't raise your hand, okay? In fact, you just sinned by not raising your hand, so, okay? Okay, so I have a question. This is the biggest, uh, this is the biggest theological debate of the millennium. There's nothing, if you ever want to not be friends with another Christian, or if you ever want to make a pastor mad, or, or find some theologian and really tick them off, you, you, you give your opinion of the question I'm about to ask you, okay? Is it once saved, always saved? Is it you were never saved in the first place and you need to get saved? Or is it you were saved and you lost your salvation and you got to get resaved? Now, before you answer, I don't care what you think. Just so you know, that was a very facetious question. But I want you to know this. When you did that thing that you did, when you, that you just raised your hand about, when you did that, were you saved when you did it? Were you not saved when you did it and you realized later, oh, I wasn't saved, I need to get saved? Or did you do it and you lost your salvation and you need to quote unquote rededicate your life to Jesus? Now, I could argue all three. Okay, I'm going to show you. I could argue the first one. The Bible says that when you're saved, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit to the day of redemption. The, the promise, the covenant that God made with Jesus on the cross, we get in on it by believing. So he said part of the covenant is I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So you could say you were always saved during those horrible times or whatever you did. Or you were never saved. Jesus, when someone came to him and said, we did good things, not bad things, good things. He said, depart from me. I never knew you. You thought you were saved. You were never saved. Not when you were doing the bad things. When you were doing the good things, you were never saved. Or I could argue the third one. Because the Bible says that we can believe and be Christians. But the Bible says that we can deny Jesus by the way we live. We're actually denying him by the way we live. So what is the answer? Do you want to know what I think the answer is? Okay. One person, I'm leaving. Do you want to know what I think the answer is? I'm not telling you because you didn't answer yes the first time I said it. 
I'll tell you in 30 minutes. But I wanted you to think about this during the sermon. So obviously, it's Father's Day. The title of the sermon is Come Home. So of course, we're going to be talking about the prodigal son. Okay, good. So Luke 15, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, Luke chapter 15. If you've never heard this parable, let me kind of start it off for you. I'll modernize it. This, um, there, there's two brothers. The younger brother, when he turns 21 years old, he demands his trust fund. His inheritance from his very, very, very wealthy father. His dad gives it to him. So he gets some tickets to Las Vegas. And he goes out there and he makes what he thinks is, you know, quote unquote, new friends. And he hangs out with them. He ends up getting some prostitutes. He gambles his money. He drinks a lot. Uh, he lives a very lavish lifestyle, very promiscuous with what he's doing. And he ends up losing his friends that he thought was his friends. He ends up losing all of his money. He has nothing left. And he's behind a McDonald's eating out of the trash can, just trying to find a French fry that was thrown in the dumpster just to satisfy him. Biblically, he was eating slop with the pigs. And as a side note, I just want you to know what happens when you hang around the wrong people and you go to wrong places. Places that are not part of your destiny, people that are not part of your destiny, it'll change you. The atmosphere you're in, good or bad, can change you. If you would ask this rich kid a year before this, would you ever eat pig food? He'd say, are you crazy? I'm a, my parents are rich. I'm, I'm, why would I eat pig food? Well, here's why. You hung out with the wrong people. Yeah. And you hung out in the wrong places. And it changed who you were. And you ended up doing something you thought you'd never do. Some of y'all, some of the things you've done in life, you would have never done had you not been around the people you were with. So that's the side note. I'll give you that for free. You don't have to give for that. That was, that was free. That had nothing to do with the sermon. Okay, so that's where we take off. Luke 15, 17 through 24. When he finally came to his senses... When he realized, I don't know what I'm doing, my dad knows best. And we're going to go over all the bold things here. He, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough food? I'm starving. I'll arise, and this is the best decision any person could ever make. I will go back to my father and say, Dad, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I am no longer worthy. He didn't say I'm not worthy. He said, I'm no longer with you. Remember that. To be called your son, make me one of your servants. So he got up, went to his father while he was still a long way off. Before he apologized, before he did anything, while he was a long way off, his father <clears throat> saw him and ran to his son and hugged him and kissed him. Now, um, this is the only picture in the entire Bible where God is running. Now, just so you know, it's very, and I'll use tongue-in-cheek, it's very trashy and low-class for a man of this caliber in that particular culture to run. He's wearing a $5,000 suit. He's got $3,000 Italian shoes on his feet, a $30,000 Rolex. His hair is perfectly just right. And he sees his son, and he takes off running in the neighborhood. What would you do if you were in Prestwick or Debadoo or somewhere, and you saw a man like that wearing a suit running down the road? Who is God running to? Is he running to the Apostle Paul who kept faith? Is he running to the prophet Elijah who called fire down from heaven? He's running to a young man who did horrible things. That's who he's running to. So his father runs to him and he hugs him and kisses him. And the son said, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy. He says it again to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, I don't even care what you mean. I don't, I don't want to hear it. I don't need to hear it. I'm just so happy that you're home. So he tells the servants, and here's our three points for today. Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill him. Let's celebrate and eat for my son. And just so you know, he was always his son. 
He was his son when he was out there doing the wrong thing. He might not have got some of the benefits, but he was still a son. Was lost, but is now found, and they began to celebrate. So I have three points for you today. For your notes, the three gifts that he was given, number one is this, the robe of righteousness. All through the Bible, the robe represents righteousness. Righteousness, for those who don't know, it means right standing with God. It's a position. It is a position that it is. A, and before I tell you what, what it is, it's a position um, that comes from God. But here's the question. Is the robe of righteousness earned or is it a gift? Can you do you earn it by coming to church and doing the right thing? Or is it a gift that you receive? Now, whatever your answer is for that will tell me how your relationship with God is, how your relationship with yourself is, and how your relationship with people are. If you grew up in a household where your parents made you earn their love and you were not blessed unless you did the right thing, there's a good chance you see God that way. But this robe is 100% a gift. You can't earn it. You can't beg for it. You can't come to church enough for it. You can't give enough for it. You can't sacrifice enough for it. It is 100% a gift. Isaiah 61.10 says, God has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. It's not like one of those hospital robes that leaves a little bit left in the back. This is a robe that covers everything. Past, present, future. It covers everything. So what did the prodigal do to earn it? Well, let's look at his life. He gambled. That doesn't seem like that earned you anything. He hung out with prostitutes, he drank, he wasted his money, he left home. And you're thinking, well, you know what? He came back with the attitude of, I want to serve. No, 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 no. He came back with the attitude of, I want to earn it. If I work hard enough, I can be a son again. If I do enough good things, my father will accept me into his house. He did nothing to earn it. Here's what I'm trying to teach you. We are not children of God because we serve. We serve because we're children of God. If you think that you doing enough good things and serving Jesus will finally earn you the robe, you misunderstand everything. It's all about, it's a gift. Once you receive the gift, then your heart changes and you want to serve. Luke 15, 19, he said, I'm no longer worthy. That tells me at one point he thought he was worthy. At one point in his mind he thought, as long as I stay home and obey, then I'm worthy to receive the good things from you. You know, you and I think the exact same way. When we have a really good week and we, and we read our Bible five out of seven days, we think, man, now I can actually pray for God to do good things for me. I can, you know the reason a lot of you don't worship unless we try to instruct you and try to help you? The re, I, I promise you're not going to believe me. But if I reach into your heart, it's, it's the, the foundation of your heart. If I, if I pulled it out of your soul, the reason you don't worship is deep inside you feel like you're not worthy. You feel like you're just not worthy. If you would really get through your head that you are a son and daughter of God by belief and not behavior, you would worship. The reason that a lot of you don't pray big prayers and ask God to heal your family and help your marriage and take care of your kids and heal your body and protect and provide. The reason you don't pray these things, you feel like you're not worthy. You feel like you're not worthy. But man, when you have a good week, when you do the right thing for seven days at least, Listen, when you northerners don't cuss anybody out for one week, you're like, oh, I'm so worthy. I'm so good. When you southerners go one week without having road rage, you're like, oh, Jesus, I'm in a good place now. Now I can pray for God. Let me tell you a truth I hope you never forget. You were never worthy. You were never worthy. 
Never, not even one in your best day, in your best day on earth, when you sacrifice and you give and you serve and you pray and you love Jesus, on that best day, you were never worthy. Never. You cannot earn this road. Let me show you. Romans 4, 6 says this. God credits or give righteousness, right standing with God, the position apart from what you do, apart from works. You, you can't earn it. It's like your unemployment checks, okay? You didn't do nothing. So get a job, you lazy fart. Stop taking those unemployment checks. It's a total gift. You did nothing. They just give it to you. You can earn a paycheck. You can't earn the robe. Romans 4, 24, God will credit righteousness. Here's all we do. We believe in him who raised our Lord from the dead. Now, see, some of you are thinking, well, you know what? My grandma, um, she deserves the robe. Billy Graham, he deserves the robe. Mother Teresa, she deserves the robe. Now, I'm going to show you something in the Bible that you're, at first you're going to disagree with me. At first, you're not going to like it. You're not going to get it. But later tonight, when you're laying in bed, you're going to think about what I'm about to say, and it's going to pop into your head, and it's going to change your life, okay? Zechariah 3, 4 says this, Take away the filthy garments from him. And he said, Behold, I have taken away your sin. Now, can we already agree, can we agree by this scripture and hundreds more, that the filthy garments represents sin? Can everybody agree with that with me, right? Just theologically, if you're studying this, if you're trying to execute the scripture, filthy garments obviously represents sin, right? Yeah. I'm taking away the, the filthy garments. I've taken away your sin. Do we all agree? Say yes or no. Yes. Okay, okay. Then he says, I will clothe you with rich robes. The Bible says God is rich, not in gold. That's his, that's his streets. He's rich in mercy. So can we agree the robe represents righteousness? Are we good with that? All the Bible, robe righteousness, yeah. sin is filthy. Okay, sin, everybody say sin, sin. is filthy garments. filthy garments. Isaiah 64, 6. All of our righteousness, all of our good deeds are like filthy Right. Do you know, it's obvious that the bad things you do is sin. Did you know the good things you do is sin? Do you know when you do good, okay. apart from Jesus, it is sin? You say, so when I, when I, when I give, when I, when I tithe my 10%, that's sin? Yep, you can tell you why? Because I'm not comparing it to Webster's Dictionary of Good. I'm comparing it to the Bible says what good is. God is good. He gave his only son to be murdered and crucified on a cross for you. That's good. And your little pieces of paper with, with dead presidents that you gave, you think that's good? You say, when I'm nice to this person, that's a sin? Yes, because we don't know the motives in your heart. Are you trying to get something out of it? You want to look good in front of them? You're trying to do a good deed? We don't know what's in our heart. Even our best deeds, the best thing we do compared to a good God, of course we're not perfect imperfection sin as good as you can possibly be on your own sin 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 see some of y'all don't agree with that but i promise you will later on tonight when you're laying in bed you think you know what i've never done anything good apart from jesus ever i can't my best deeds is still not equivalent to jesus here's what i'm trying to teach you we don't lose our road because of the bad here's how i know this we don't earn it because of the good if you if you can't earn it by doing good then obviously you can't lose it by doing bad. Do you, do, you, do you understand what, are we speaking the same language here? Luke 15, 18, when he finally came to his senses, all through the New Testament says, repent and be saved, repent and be saved, repent and be saved. Repent in the Greek metanoia means to change the way you think. When he finally, and he didn't have it all figured out because he's still trying to earn stuff and all, but at least in his mind he said, you know what? 
What I want is not best. My dad knows what's best. I got to come home. When you come home, you get a free robe. Repent and come home. Um, there's a story I found about these, these two siblings. Um, nine-year-old Sam and his older sister, 12-year-old Sarah. And during the summer, they would go to their grandparents' house on the farm and, you know, hang out for a month or two. And it's one particular day they were there. Sam was outside playing with a slingshot. And he, he wasn't accurate. He wasn't any good. But he was just playing around, hitting targets. And when it was time for him to come inside for dinner, as he was walking toward the house from the barn and everything, he saw his grandma's pet duck sitting over there by the pond. And he, he never thought in a million years he'd hit it. But just for fun, he pulled that slingshot back and he let the rock fly and whack, that duck fell over dead. He was shot. He was so upset. He looked around, didn't see anybody. So he runs and he gets the duck and he goes over behind the barn and he buries the duck. He covers up, he wipes his hands off and he's real nervous. His heart's beating. He starts to walk to the house and he sees out the corner of his eye. His 12-year-old sister, Sarah, saw the whole thing take place. So they go inside for dinner. Nobody's saying nothing. After dinner, Grandma says, Sarah, I need you to help me do the dishes. She said, Grandma, I would, but Sam told me that he wanted to do the dishes for you tonight. And she went by her brother and whispered in his ear, remember the duck. <laughs> so Sam did the dishes. The next day, Granddad invited both kids to go fishing. And Grandma said, oh, honey, I need Sarah to stay here and help me do chores around the house. She said, Grandma, I would. But Sam told me earlier that he wanted to stay and do chores around the house while I go fishing. She looked at her brother and she lit the words, remember the duck. <laughs> so Sam stayed and did chores and Sarah went fishing with her granddad. This went on for several days and Sam was doing both his and his sister's chores until finally one day he had enough. He couldn't take it anymore. He runs home into the kitchen. He says, Grandma, I'm so sorry. The other day I was playing with my slingshot and I pulled it and I killed your pet duck. Please forgive me. She said, Sam, she held out her arms, gave him a big hug. She said, I know you did. I was standing by the window and I watched the whole thing take place. I've already forgiven you. I've just been waiting to see how long you would allow your sister to make a slave of you. <laughs> Can I tell you a trick? Listen, God was standing at the window. He's seen everything you've ever done, everything you're going to do, and he's just waiting for you to come home and repent. I promise everything will be better if you'll come home. Everybody say, come home. come home. Point number two is this. The father gave him the ring of authority. The ring of authority. The ring all through the Bible represents authority. I'll show you some scriptures. Genesis 41, 42. Pharaoh took his signet ring on his hand, gave it to Joseph, clothed him. Look at this type and shadow of salvation. Clothed him in garments of fine linen. And then he went to Nabil's store at the mall and he put a gold chain around his neck. Made him a thug. And so then he set him over all the land of Egypt. Esther 8, 8. Write a decree for the Jews in the king's name and seal it. There it is again. Salvation. Seal it with the king's signet ring for a letter sealed with the king's ring. Watch this. No one can revoke. Amen. So the ring in itself has no authority. The ring represents who's backing that person up. It's like a police badge. When you have a police badge, the badge itself doesn't do anything, but the badge shows everyone else. Here's the authority behind me. If it says city of Myrtle Beach, the city of Myrtle Beach is backing that person up. Okay. Luke 10, 19 says, listen, I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy. Here's what I'm trying to teach you. Some of you have not come home 
because of your sin, your addiction, and the things going on in your life. But I'm here to teach you, if you'll come home and receive the robe and start using your ring of authority, God will give you what you need to overcome. So don't wait until you fix the addictions and fix the sin and then come home because it won't happen without the authority that comes from God. Luke 9.1, then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all the demons. I'm trying to teach it. You have to pray. When you come home and get your robe, use your ring and pray, pray, pray. And some of you, you pretend like you come to church and pray, but you don't. You, I don't see how you can make it even one week of your life without praying every single day. How do you do it without asking God for help? You're worthy. You're in the position of a child. Pray. Use your authority. And don't ever text me or call me or email me your problems without you first spending time with God praying. I don't have any authority to give you. It comes from God. If you call me about your problems, I'm going to ask you this. In the past week, how much have you prayed? I want to see at least 10 scriptures you've written out by hand concerning your issue that you've prayed out loud. I want to know what you've repented for. What you need to get off of your heart to God. What you repented to God about. How he's trying to heal you. I want to know what God has said to you while you've been praying. Pray, pray, pray. Pray. Ephesians 6.12. We don't fight against human beings. You think the problem is your spouse or the president or your kids or your parents or your boss. It's not. That's not where the fight's going on. That's a distraction. The fight is in the spirit realm. Use your authority in Jesus' name and pray against the rulers of darkness and spiritual powers of evil. There was a, a bullfight going on in Mexico several years ago. And this bullfighter's out in the ring. And this bull, it's like a thousand pound animal. Man, he'd get so angry and you know, snort his nose and kick his foot back. And he'd start heading towards this bullfighter in the middle of the ring. As the bull got closer and closer, the bullfighter would hold out a red cape to distract them. And the bull would run through the cape, and then the little, the little man would smile at the crowd and take his sword and stab the bull right in the butt. And that bull would say, you know, and he'd, then he'd turn around and he'd be angrier. And he'd go even faster after that man. And when he got close enough, the man would hold out the red cape. The bull would go through the red cape, and he'd take his sword and stick him in the butt again. This went on hour after hour. That bull was so, can you believe a thousand pound bull cannot defeat a 150-pound man. Do you know why he was unable to defeat him? It's because he wasn't focused on the right target. He was too busy looking at the distraction. The distraction. Listen, the people that you're fighting against, distraction. The things that upset you on Facebook and the news, distraction. Your boss, distraction. That's the red cape. There was a man watching this take place in the stands for the first time ever. He said something incredibly profound. He said, if that bull ever discovers who's really sticking him with that sword, then that little man is going to be in a whole lot of trouble. If you would figure out who is ultimately after your destiny, after your family, after your health, after your finances, and if you would do battle where you're supposed to do battle in the spirit realm, the devil would be in a whole lot of trouble as well. Amen. But right now, you're using all your energy going after the red cape. That's not the problem. you got to use the power that God's given you, the authority in Jesus' name. 2 Corinthians 10.4, our weapons of warfare are not physical. 
You can't shoot a demon. You can't use a slingshot with a demon. They are mighty before God for the destruction of strongholds. It's in the spirit realm where you have to do your battle. Philippians 2.9. Jesus is the name above every name. In the name of Jesus, every knee must bow. Watch this. In heaven, on earth, and you ready? And under earth. Use the authority in Jesus' name as a son and daughter of God and take care of the problems in your life that way. Throw away the self-help book. You know, stop watching a thousand preachers a week on TV and you spend time with God. That's a good, that's a really good point in the sermon, by the way. I'm going to have to re-listen to this one because that's how good that was. Okay, number three is this. All my points have to start with the same letter. Or I can't sleep at night. I realize that he gave his son shoes, okay? <clears throat> but the, the point I want you to write down is this. The Reeboks. Of, <clears throat> the Reeboks of rights. The Reeboks of rights. Okay. All through the Bible, taking off your shoes meant giving up your rights. Giving up your desires, your will, what you want. Um, you can't receive the shoes that God gives you. Until you first take off the shoes that you have. You can't first get the desires that God wants to put inside of you. Until you're willing to give up the desires that you have. In other words, you have to give up your right to be angry and bitter at the people that did you wrong. You have to give up your right to get even with your enemies. You have to give up your right to build your own kingdom and make your dreams come true. And once you give that up. Then the father puts the shoes of sonship or the, do- the, the, on the on the son and the daughter on your feet. And then you walk out of here with a changed will and a changed heart. Let me show you some scriptures. Ruth uh, 4, 7. So Boaz, this rich guy wants to marry Ruth. And, um, and except there's a near kinsman in line. There's a relative that has first dibs. And the, it was funny in the Bible. You, if, if Ruth's husband died and there's a relative, he gets first dibs on Ruth. So Boaz comes over to him and says, listen, I want to marry her. I don't want you marrying her. Will you give up your rights? And so Ruth 4, 7 says there was a custom in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm anything, one man took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was confirmation of giving up rights. He's saying, listen, I'm giving up my right to marry her so you can marry her. You see that? Let me show you another one. Um, If your brother dies, you get to marry his wife if you want to. Deuteronomy 25, 7, if a man does not want to take his brother's wife and says, she is not my type. I do not want, she's a little rough around the edges. She burps a lot. I don't know, but I do not want to take her. Then his brother's wife shall come to him, (laughs) remove his sandal off his foot and hawk a loogie in his face. She gets a little bit of revenge there because he doesn't want to marry. You see a guy walking down the street with one shoe and a loogie hanging off. I guess he didn't want to marry his brother's wife, you know. Okay. Can you, all of you Bible studying people, can you tell me a time in the Bible where God wanted to reveal a destiny for someone, but he first said this, you need to take your shoes off. Remember a time like that? Moses. Now, as a side note, you know George W., um, the former president, George W., you know, at one time he tried to get in touch with Moses, and Moses did not want to talk to him, and they said, why? And Moses said, well, last time I spoke to a bush, I was in the wilderness for 40 years after that, so I'm not... <clears throat> anyway, so Moses in the bush... That was a great, that was a dad joke. Today's Father's Day. I deserve that one. Exodus 3, 5. God said to Moses, take your shoes off because the place you're standing is holy ground. Moses, you want to hear from me? You want to know what I have for you? You have to give up all of your rights 
And I'll take you to a great place. Okay, so Psalms 37, 4, a lot of people manipulate the scripture. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you desires. This does not mean that God will give you what you want. You're pulling out of context. Read the next scripture. This means when you delight yourself in the Lord, he will put his desires inside of you. And then he'll bring those desires to pass in your life. Take your shoes off so the father can put his shoes on you. Okay, so let me close this. There are three main characters in the parable of the prodigal son. There's God, there's the younger son, the prodigal, and then there's the older brother. What is the purpose of the older brother? And why, is it, why, did, God, why, why did Jesus even have to mention him? Like, why couldn't it just be the father and the sinner? What was the purpose of the older brother? Well, to answer that, we have to read why Jesus told these parables in the first place, okay? Because there's three characters there when Jesus tells it. Luke 15, 1. Now the sinners, there's one group, all gathered around Jesus. There's someone else, ready? But the Pharisees muttered. There's the third group. Now, when I tell you what the Pharisees muttered, after I say this phrase, I want every person in this room to say, thank you, Jesus. Okay, you ready? This man welcomes sinners. Amen. Oh. Then Jesus told these parables, okay? So he's telling parables to the sinners and the Pharisees. In this parable, father is God, the prodigal son is the sinners, and the older son is the Pharisees. The, the Pharisees were so upset because Jesus stood up and said, listen, these sinners that did bad things, they can still go to heaven. They didn't like that because the Pharisees were actually good people. Because Jesus looked at them and said, the bad doesn't cause you to go to hell. And the good things you're doing doesn't cause you to go to heaven. You can't do enough good to get to heaven. Luke 15, 25, the older son came in the house and he heard the music and dancing, but he was angry and refused to go in. He did not like that the father was paying attention to the sinner son. He did not like the fact that the son had done all these bad things and the father gifts him. He gives him gifts that belong to a son and the older brother thought he hasn't earned it, he hasn't deserved it. And the Pharisees were thinking the exact same thing. The older son got so upset, Jesus came along and said, you can't earn it. Here's the point I wanna teach you. The older son never took his shoes off. He never gave up his rights. He makes it all about himself. Jesus showed up and said, it's not about the bad and it's not about the good. It's all about the father loving you and giving you a free gift. So, is it once saved, always saved? Is it you were never saved, or is it you lost your salvation? Here's my answer to y'all. This is not for anybody outside of this building. This is only for you that are still breathing, still alive, and have heard this sermon. Here's the answer. Who cares? Just come home. Amen. If you were always saved, then come home. If you were never saved, come home. If you lost your salvation, come home. <laughs> Who cares? Just come home. Just come home. Oh, your last story, I'll let you go. This young man was over in Europe. He traveled there from America thinking that he was going to get a great job and do great things. And after several months, it just wasn't going well. And he, he lost everything he had. He couldn't get a job. So he managed to save enough money to buy a ticket for a ship to come back to America, to come home. This before there was um, airplanes or anything like that. He had a little bit of money left over after the ticket, enough to afford a suitcase that he was able to fill with cheese and crackers. So he'd have something to eat on his two to three week journey back to America, back to home. So he boards the ship and 
Every day he sits in the corner and he just munches on his cheese and crackers, just trying to stay nourished until he gets home to his family. And he sees all these other people walking into the huge banqueting hall every day. And they're eating this gourmet food and they're sipping on wine and there's, you know, fresh, clean water at every table. And he smells the food in the air and he hears the laughter and the joy coming from the banquet hall. But he just sits back and enjoys his cheese and crackers every day. This went on day after day for about two and a half weeks. Finally, on the very last day of the journey, they're about to get to America. This other guy walks up to the young man one day as he's sitting there in the corner. He says, listen, why don't you come inside with us and enjoy all the delicious food that's been prepared? The young man was so embarrassed, he hung his head. He said, oh, I only had enough money for my ticket. I didn't have enough money to afford all the delicious food. This guy's eyes got real big. He said, are you kidding me? Didn't you know the food was included in the ticket? You've been eating cheese and crackers for two and a half weeks. You could have been in there the whole time. How many people have not yet come home because they don't know what's already been included in the ticket? Forgiveness paid for. Favor paid for. Authority over demons and Satan paid for. I got a good one. You ready? Unconditional Love. Paid for. Ready? A perfect father. Paid for. Just come home and receive everything that's already been included on the cross 2,000 years ago. Get your robe, your ring, take off your shoes, and I promise you, you will fulfill the plan that God has for your life. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay.